Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jared Pickney, and at last, I am joined by Bob Branch. So, people don't know this at home, but I'm going to tell them. I reached out to you. You're one of the first people that came to my mind, actually, when we started the Paragold Podcast. I reached out to you, and you said, you know, I don't think I'm interested, but if enough people keep asking you, and apparently if your own dentist or hygienist asks you to come on here, you decide to do it. Is that the way it worked? I didn't have any choice. I declined every opportunity, and I was in the dental office in the dental chair, and she was attending me, and she urged me to come, and I declined, and she inflicted a great deal of pain on me, or threatened to, and I said, well, yes, I'll do it then. You get me his phone number, and I'll do it, so... Well, I'm here. I, that's fantastic. You just chose the less of the the painful events. Is it right. here the the dentist office? I can stand this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you chose to be here. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because uh, I I love the city of Paragold. Obviously, that's what this podcast is all about. It's about celebrating the stories of the people here. And um, I, I've always wanted you to come on and share about the history of our city. You know, many people, especially my age, Robert's age, I was listening. We don't really understand how we got here. Uh, Whose shoulders are we standing on? What all has happened? And I'm excited to be able to record today so that we can have a spot where people can go back to and remember, man, how we got to where we are today. And so you are 92 years old. Is that correct? That is correct. 92. Are you born here? I was born in Paragould, Arkansas, March 22, 1930. March 22. I was March 18th. Good. I, See, we're close to the you're same. You're four years older than I. Four days older <laughs> Exactly. Than I. Yeah. So a lot has changed uh, since the 30s. Is that what you said? It was the 30s or when did you say? Yeah. Yeah. Great Depression. When was the when was the Great Depression? My history is so bad. It started on Black Tuesday, October 29, October uh, 19- 1929. Okay. And I was born six months later. It was the end of the roaring 20s, and yeah, then we had the Depression yes. through the 30s. Yeah, do it you lasted re- 10 years. Do you remember that as a kid? I uh, sure. I remember every day, every, yes, it was a difficult time for everyone. When you say difficult, like what was the quality of life like? Um, which, what was it like to live during the Great Depression? Well, the quality of life was satisfactory. It's just that everybody learned to do without many things. Like? Uh, well, no money, no jobs. Mm. Uh, you got by with what you had. You made do with what you had. There, there was no uh, selective buying. There was no shopping. Uh, you just... You just made do. Well, what has, um, as you look back over the last 92 years, what, is, what has surprised you the most about the change in the world? What's, what's, what's the thing that you feel like is just so much different now than it was and you could have never saw it coming? Uh, the the uh, abrupt change, the, the significant change in society, the way people get along with each other the way people treat each other. Mm. Uh, there was such a, a social acceptance of each other and accommodation for each other uh, in the 30s and 40s. And, and after the war, uh, I think people became uh, a bit more independent, uh, a bit more isolated. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we lost the sense of, uh, of neighborliness. Mm-hmm. We lost our front porches. Yes. We used to have front porches where neighbors would walk by and stop and visit. People sat out on the front porch at the end of the work day and, and kind of regained composure from a day of work. And uh, when the front porches left and the air conditioning came in, people closed their windows and people ceased to be social yep. uh, extroverts. You're exactly right. Yeah. We just had this conversation that we had the president of Black River Technical College on here a couple of weeks ago, and that was the exact thing we talked about. The back porches disappeared, it went to the, the decks, you had the air conditioner. Then you had even the things like the answer machine. We're used to someone called. If you want to know who's calling, you got to pick up. And yeah. there you are. And now you're like, well, let's wait. Let's see who it is. Do we want to talk? Do we not want to talk? You know, all these modern conveniences have led to some isolation and hostility. And many folks didn't have a phone. You know, folks lived without a phone. It did very well. Yeah, now it's like, don't forget to take your cell phone with you before you oh, go yeah. to the market. They yeah. sleep with it. <laughs> You're exactly right. It's their alarm clock and their timepiece. It's everything. I wear a wristwatch. You almost you. don't see anybody with a wristwatch anymore. They right. don't. They have it in their pocket. Yeah, look at that. You and Robert, yeah. you are so much alike. It's an analog wristwatch. Yeah, sure it's like your black coffee. Oh, yeah. That's right. Mine does not have a battery in it. You have to oh. wind the thing. No, I'm not. Mine's not that <laughs> antiquated. <laughs> so, let's talk about the history of Paragold. How did we get here? Well, history is, is an evolving thing, and to get Paragold, uh, you got to have Green County, and to have Green County. Uh, You've got to uh, have Arkansas, and mm-hmm. have Arkansas, you got to have Arkansas Territory. To have Arkansas Territory, you got to have Missouri as a state out of Missouri Territory. That gets you the Louisiana Purchase when Napoleon sold everything he had in the United States uh, to wage his war with Russia. And that's another thing. Well, that's a different subject, but... Uh, that's okay. But, hey, you yeah. can chase rabbits here. Yeah, but... Uh, so you have to go back and understand all that. We have to have Lawrence County before we can have Greene County. We can't have Lawrence County till we have the Arkansas Territory. So all of that provides the foundation for Paragould. Hmm. Paragould wasn't planned. It just happened. And you have to look, well, why did it happen? Well, that's an interesting story. It doesn't even get you to Paragould, but it gives you the background of why Paragould is here. Uh, we have the Civil War, and uh, we had a young man who grew up in uh, Tyler, Texas, East Texas, and uh, in the Civil War, he served in the Confederate Army as an officer. And Tyler, Texas, there one of their main, there were two main crops. There were cotton and peaches, and uh, the peaches, uh, they're production of peaches was much larger than they could consume locally and they had no way to transport it so his experience in the civil war he he learned of railroads and he said that's our solution when i get home we'll build a railroad and ship those peaches out so he got an interconnect agreement with the main line over at texarkana and he decided to build a railroad to ship peaches uh, he spent four or five, he didn't know a thing about building railroads, and he had no money. 
But he spent four or five years trying to build a railroad. He built it about 20 miles. He could see he wasn't going to succeed. So he went to this commercial market of this part of the country, which was then St. Louis on the Mississippi River. He went up there looking for an investor to help him build a railroad. And uh, he found uh, the man who was running the St. Louis Cotton Compress Company, and that was... um, um, Paramore, and Paramore had been an officer in the Union Army, and he pitched to Paramore the idea of building a, a railroad to ship those uh, peaches out of Tyler, Texas. And Paramore thought that's a great idea and joined with him to build that railroad, but Paramore didn't care a thing about those peaches in Tyler, Texas. Paramore was getting his cotton out of East Texas, but it had to be hauled overland to Galveston, Texas, put on an ocean-going ship and shipped across the Gulf of Mexico to New Orleans and put on a riverboat and taken up the Mississippi River to St. Louis. So Paramore said, yeah, we'll build a railroad, but he was going to move that cotton out of East Texas Mm -hmm. to St. Louis. So they started to build a railroad, and the other fellow kind of passed from the scene. So Paramore is building this railroad, by then, Jay Gould had gained control of St. Louis Iron Mountain and Southern Railroad, which was a railroad line from St. Louis down to Little Rock and eventually Texarkana. It was on the high ground of Crowley's Ridge. So uh, uh, Paramore started building a railroad as far away from that line as he could. So he went down through the swampland, lowlands of Missouri and Arkansas, to get to Tyler, Texas. Well, Gould found out about this new railroad being built, and he contacted Paramore and said, I'll, I'll buy you out. Paramore said, I won't sell. Gould said, well, I got more money than you do. I'll build a competing line, and I'll cross your line, and I'll break you. Wow. So Gould started building a new railroad. He built a spur, what it would be a spur line off his main line, and his spur line was from Noble, Arkansas, which is up in now Clay County. And from Noble, he was going to build it to Helena on the Mississippi River because every all commerce then was by river. So St. Louis is on the Mississippi River. Helena's on the Mississippi River. So Gould is building this line from, Helena, from Noble to Helena. Uh, so the two lines crossed in 1882. Gould's a railroad got to this area in February 1882, and Paramore got to this area in March 1882, and the two lines crossed in this timbered wilderness in March of 1882. Well, this was virgin timber, never been cut because there's no way to get it to market. Suddenly, there's a way to get that timber to market. Mm. And so within a year of the railroads crossing, a tented city grew up here. Over a 1,000 people were living here in tents. There were over 40 sawmills in the immediate area cutting this timber to get it to market. I heard, is it true that at one time we were the largest exporter of whiskey barrels in the world? That is correct. In the world, made right here uh, in our mills, they were cutting staves and heads a lot of people don't know what a stave is. A stave, it's a stave mill. It cuts the side boards for the 
barrel. Okay. The head is the top and bottom, and they're cut differently. You cut a, a head out of a square piece of wood, it's a circle. And so you get four corners, and those, that's scrap. And they're mm-hmm. called goosenecks because they kind of look a goose, like yeah, a yeah. goose's neck yeah. sticking out there. And they were waste. And so people around here would go to the, the mills and get that waste and take it home and burn it in their fireplace mm-hmm. for heat. Wow. Those were, so, yes, that those barrels were made here, whiskey barrels. They made two kinds of barrels. They made slack barrels, which would be used to uh, ship dry goods like meal, flour, sugar, salt. And then they made uh, tight barrels that were used to ship liquids like whiskey, vinegar, uh, such as that. So those were made here. So the lines, the, the railroads, they, 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 the tracks crossed. Um, obviously, we're here in a building called The Crossing, and we named yeah. this building after those two lines that crossed. Do you know where they were in proportion sure. to kind of where we were? They crossed at, uh, at what we call King's Highway now, the overpass. Okay. They crossed uh, maybe 100 feet north of the overpass. And that's not still there, correct? Like well, that's, no, the that's literally right outside the door where we're, where we're recording right now. About no, about no, the crossing is down at East King at King's Highway. Right. See, we're at Court Street. Right. So how you said north, though, of that? Uh, about 100 oh, feet. Oh, 100 feet. Oh, well, that's 100 a couple feet blocks. North. Not quite this A couple far. blocks south yeah. of where yeah. we are. So it was between Hamburger Station and the overpass. I see. And the overpass... Where the railroads crossed, that was called the junction. The railroads joined. That was the junction point. And so that street that we call King's Highway or Highway 412, that was called Junction Street originally because it was at the junction of the railroads. So King's Highway was originally called Junction Street. Mm. And when did Paragould become Paragould? Like when did that become official? Well, the crossing occurred in March of 1882. By 1883, we had a community here of a 1,000 people or so. And uh, so the community was created, and Paragul, I believe, became an incorporated town in 1884. Mm. And there was an election called of people in this new community, it wasn't Paragould then. Each railroad had a name for it. Gould's Railroad, St. Louis, Iron Mountain, and Southern called it Parmley. Mm-hmm. And they had a depot they called Parmley. Well, the other line, the St. Louis and Texas line, was called a cotton belt because it was built all cotton out of East Texas to St. Louis. That was a cotton belt. And they had a depot on their line called the Crossing. And the Crossing was down about, uh, well, between the railroad tracks, just west of Hamburger Station. On Main Street, between the railroad tracks, the Crossing had their depot there. So we had two depots, Parmley, which was at, at uh, Lake Street, Highland Street, 
that's the reason that Highland Street and Lake Street are offset. Now, the just, depot was there. Just about a year ago, they tore up the foundation of that depot. Is that right? That's right. The tiles were still there on the them. floor. It's ceramic tiles. They've kept those tiles, though. Someone I, did, yes. I, well, yeah, I talked to Gina Jarrett. So they've stored them somewhere to, yeah. to hang on those to. Those were the tiles. But that, that was Bring them not, in here. <laughs> we should. I, uh, by the way, you're talking about the story of them crossing, coming from Noble uh, yeah. to go down to Helena. And we have a, a picture. I'm going to put this on uh, yeah, Facebook right here when you. we release this. But on that photo right behind where you're sitting, you can see where the line from Noble comes down and crosses there at Paragould. I was just looking at it while you're telling the story. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's You were it. checking the facts. I was. Hey, fact check. Fact check true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we are now at 1,000 people in 1884. We're incorporated. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to tell you, it was not Paragool then. Right. Each railroad had their own name Either for it, Parmley and the crossing. crossing. That created confusion. And uh, and so the people living here said, we need a name. And they decided, well, let's call it Paragould. Let's use the name of the presidents of the two railroads, Paramore and Gould. So we'll take Para. Put a hyphen in there and a capital G O U L D. Mm. So it was P A R A, capital P A R A, hyphen, capital G O U L D. Mm. They presented that, and Paramore said, fine. Google said, no. First, I don't like Paramore, and I don't like the idea of my name's second. <laughs> I like he, that guy. he wouldn't take it. So the fine people here finally said, well, we'll just make the, the capital G a lower uh, case G drop the hyphen, and make it P-A-R-A-G-O-U-L-D. And that's how it became Paragould. Wow. I did not know that, but I can see why Gould would be a little bit upset. So at that point, that's, she said that's 1884 when it yeah. gets the name? Okay, so 1884, 1,000 people. I'm guessing everyone either works at a sawmill or they're a farmer. Is that probably railroad? Is that accurate? Okay, so there are people working on the railroad here as well. Oh, Paragould was, was a railroad community Okay, because it was where – Back then, the railroads were pulled, powered by steam locomotives. Steam locomotives had to have fuel. They haul wood to burn in the, in the locomotive for power. They had to have water to heat it to make steam to drive the locomotive. So they had to have water and they had to have steam, and they had to have a crew to operate that. And like an internal combustion engine, they had to have service. They had to be serviced frequently, repaired often. Okay. So they had they had to have a place where the crew could start and stop, and that became Paragool. Paragool, each railroad used Paragool as a station where one crew would get off and a new crew would get on. So people, families lived in Paragool that worked for the railroad. And the railroads had to be repaired and so Missouri, well, St. Louis Iron Mountain Southern, which later became known as Missouri Pacific, built a repair station in Paragool. It was called the Roundhouse because it was round, and it had a turntable in it large enough to accommodate and loc- and move a steam locomotive, and they are huge. You can see a picture of that at the Green County Museum. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so that roundhouse was down here on the off the railroad, and so, so we had 350 men working at the roundhouse, wow. and then had the crews operating the trains, and so those crews lived here, and since the yard office where the trains were made up and the crews got off and on, 
was located down south, oh, where Mike Rolson used to have his beer distributorship and Riggs Wholesale, mm-hmm. down probably Park Street. Uh, that's where the the uh, yard office was. So the people who worked for the railroad lived in the south part of Paragool where they could walk to work, and men could walk to the roundhouse, which was just south of there. And the people that worked in the mills, the mills uh, were located in the east and north part of Paragool. So the people that worked in the timber mills, sawmills, lived on the east side of Paragool where they could walk to work. And then the merchants and the clerks and the doctors and lawyers and bankers lived in the west part of Paragool where they could walk to work. Everybody walked. Nobody had a car. Wow. So, yeah, Paragool then, I mean, you've got, You've got the railhouse um, and the railroad workers. You've got farmers. You've got uh, the factory sawmill workers, workers, factory workers, sawmill workers. And you said that that lawyers and doctors were already starting to pop on the scene early on. Then, so some of these you had some of these like blue collar jobs. But then you said other people were beginning okay. to come in the I guess late eighteen hundreds that are outside of these. Well, centers. professionals came here. You know, as soon as the railroads got here, that was an attraction for everybody. A young lawyer just out of law school in Vanderbilt heard of the railroads crossing here. He decided that'd be a good place to practice law. So he came over here as a single man, and there was a new family here uh, called the Merriweather family. Yes, tell and me the about Mer- them because they're, they're a big deal, right? The Merriweathers had come here. Uh, Colonel uh, Captain Merriweather had been the Confederate Army, and he came here as a merchant and operated a gro- a, a mercantile store. They didn't have grocery stores and hardware stores. They had mercantile stores, kind of like a Walmart today, sold anything you needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Merriweather opened a, a store here, a mercantile store, sold groceries and hardware and whatever people needed. And Merriweather had a daughter. Her name was Sarah, and she was single. And this l- young lawyer came here, uh, his name was W.W. W. Bandy, set up a law office, and he started courting Ms. Merwe- uh, Ida <laughs> Merriweather, and they married. And so, yeah, the Burdigs came here, two brothers, pack merchants from Austria, immigrants from Austria, came here with nothing but what they could carry on their backs. And one of them had a baby son, Joseph, and they came here and settled in here, and became wealthy because of their hard work and entrepreneurship. What did Joseph do? Because I know he had his hands in several things, right? All right, now wait. You got a Joseph last name and a Joe Burdig. Yeah, Joe Burdig. I'm thinking of. Okay. All right, Joe Burdig was the son of Saul Burdig and Ad Burdig. They were the two brothers. S O L Saul and Ad Adolf Burdig. I think Adolf Burdig was. Uh, Joe Burdick's father. Anyway, the Burdicks went to work and were entrepreneurs and became wealthy. They put in a, a, a store at Cardwell, a mercantile store, a store at Marmaduke or Gainesville, and, and then a three-story brick structure in downtown Paragool where they sold everything imaginable, even 
wagons off the third floor of the store. They had a freight wa- uh, elevator in the back large enough to move wagons up and down uh, to the third floor. Where was this Where was this store? It was downtown. That was at the corner of Court and uh, Pruitt. Direct, it's where the parking lot is directly across okay. from this tr- uh, crossing. Yeah. That was the Burdick Department Store. And uh, the building we're in now was Joseph's yes. that's Department what, Store. We it was a picture a, of that. Was that Joseph Burtig or a different Joseph? Uh, that's a different family. Okay. Joseph is their last name. Okay. And Burtig was uh, a last, last name. Gotcha. So Joseph was a Jewish family, too that had a mercantile store in Marmaduke and came here and put in a store in Paragould where the crossing operation, where we are now, is located. It was a two-story building selling dry goods, fashions, shoes, such as that. And Mr. Joseph uh, put in a cotton gin. It was later... It was called Joseph's Gin down at Junction Street or King's Highway and 2nd Street. Later we called well, Joseph had a nephew come here to go to work for him named Alvin Samuel. And Alvin Samuel then took over the operation, managed it, and eventually bought it. And so Samuel's Gin, uh, Joseph's Gin became known as Samuel's Gin. And and uh, Joseph's Mercantile Stores was liquidated, uh, and O.M. Adkins came here as a liquidator to sell uh, the the uh, inventory. That's what he did for a living. He just went to various communities and liquidated uh, operations. So O.M. Adkins came here to liquidate the Joseph store operation. He got tired of traveling. He liked Paragul, so he bought the place and se- uh, settled here. And his family grew up, children grew up here. Mm-hmm. One of his daughters, uh, Marianne, married Frank Schreit, a CPA. So uh, Marianne Schreit was O.M. Adkins' daughter. O.M. Adkins started out here as a liquidator of Joseph's department store. So wow. history begets history. Yeah, absolutely. I want to get back to downtown Paragold okay. in a second. But Meriwether, um, for those listening, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the oldest house still standing in Paragould is Meriwether's house, correct? On 7th Street? That's a different Meriwether, though. Okay. Yeah. The Meriwether that came here uh, that started a uh, mercantile store spelled his name M-E-R-I-W-E-T-H-E-R. One R, Meriwether. The Dr. Meriwether, whose oldest house in Paragould, okay. was a physician practicing in Gainesville when Gainesville was the county seat. And he spelled his name with a double R, M-E-R-R-I-W-E-T-H-E-R. And he saw when the railroads missed Gainesville, where he was practicing medicine, and crossed down here, he said the future is going to be where those railroads crossed. Mm -hmm. So Meriwether came down here and bought a farm and built a brick structure on his farm and moved his family down here to that brick structure. And that brick structure was up at what we now call 
Seventh and Highland Street or Happy Go Lucky mm-hmm. Lane, mm-hmm. and he li- they lived in that brick structure until they could build a two story elegant two story frame house. Then they moved the family into that frame house, and the brick structure became their kitchen, where their meals were prepared. Because with an open fire, a fireplace, you're cooking, Mm -hmm. you had the risk of burning your house down. So they did their cooking in a separate structure. And and then he started, the brick structure became his medical office. And so that... That's the Merriweather home, the oldest home okay. in Paragon. Okay, and then uh, Bertig's home is still standing. That one of them is. They built two houses Street, side by side. Yeah. Their houses were on Main Street between 4th and 5th yeah. uh, and 6th Streets. Yeah, the house that's still standing is a white two-story structure where Judge Randy and Melody Fillhours yeah. live. Yes. That was the Joe Bertig house. And then the other Bertig had the house just west of it. It was a two-story frame house. Uh, and it burned back in the, probably in the 60s, 50s or 60s. And Frank and Marianne Schreit bought that lot and built the house where Dr. Mack and Dr. Vernon okay. Schatz yep. live. Yep. But that's, that is the replacement house. Um, the Bertig home, you can tell me if I'm wrong on this, like his story kind of ended at least... If I remember reading correctly, his story ended in tragedy because he ended up having, I don't know if it's through the Great Depression or what, but a lot of his business suffered, and I'd heard that he actually had committed suicide in his home. Is that, that is the rumor, yes. Okay, but nobody knows for sure on that. Well, we know he died. Yeah. It was never publicly decided or announced his cause of death, but everyone thought he committed suicide because the re- Depression and uh the following years had been so difficult for for everybody, but especially for him. He had a bank or had an interest in a bank. I think the bank closed, uh, and his operations were, were financially at risk, and, uh, and he died. Mm-hmm. He had two children, as I recall. He had a son, Joe Burdig, who took over the operation. He had a daughter. Her name escapes me right now, but she uh, married apparently into some wealth and family in Galveston, Texas, and uh, and her family or the money in her family in Texas, I think, was used to bail out the Birdie Company here uh, with the new manager being brought in. That new manager was W.L. Gatz, who I think had been a bank examiner and Gatz was brought in to manage the Birdie Company, and, and he did it very well and very successfully. And the Birdie, Birdie Company grew to an operation that had, oh, 28 to 32 cotton gins and grain elevators and uh, built their own supply and, and maintenance business called Wonder State Manufacturing Company, which is now K&L Trailers. But that was originated as Wonder State Manufacturing Company, to service the gins and grain elevators of the Birdie Company. And IFH Gas, Industrial Farm Home Gas Company, Propane Gas Company, to provide fuel for the cotton gins that had originally operated off steam and then operated off propane or butane gas and then 
uh, operated off electricity. Mm-hmm. So all that was a birdie operation. Okay. W.L. Gatz came here to manage that, and he died, and his son, Bill Gatz, took it over and operated it till it was liquidated. So much information. You remember all these names. It's incredible. Yeah. And we haven't got to the history, so history tell of Paragould yet. Yeah, all right. So tell me about Pruitt Street. Was that named after somebody? That was named after the Pruitt family on which Paragould Paragould's founded on the Pruitt family farm. Okay. The Pruitts were a couple of brothers, and this was their farmland, and it was not intended that Pruitt Street would be the main street. The main street was called Main Street. It was intended to be the main street. The main street. street that we have now. That was, yeah. Was that, that one of the first streets? Street, that East-West Street was, a, was the, one of the first streets. No, it was one of the first streets. And Pruitt Street was just a side street as a tribute to the Pruitt family. But Main Street was the huh. main street. When Main Street started developing, uh, the Pruitts let them develop to Third Street where the courthouse was built, mm-hmm. but when they tried to move farther west, Pruitts wouldn't allow them to to move any farther west. So they said, "Well, if we can't grow west on Main Street, we'll just turn everything around, and make Pruitt Street the main commercial street." And the Merriweathers had built, that is, the Mercantile Merriweathers had built their first store mm-hmm. on Main Street, a frame oh, store okay. that sold merchandise. Including groceries. So Main Street originally had some commercial property on it. Oh, it was uh, it was full, and then when they couldn't grow on Main Street, the Merriweathers jacked up their frame building and turned it around, and fronted it on Pritt Street, and Pritt Street then became the main commercial street for Paragool. And was it the Merriweathers and Bertigs that allowed that to become kind of make it really to kind of lead Paragool to become more of a kind of a cosmopolitan? No, that just that just happened. Okay, that just, just uh, several different people. Then I guess um, all came in. They began to see the potential, like you said. Well, the rapes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. The Hasties. The yeah. rapes had some of the heading mills and stave mills here, mm-hmm. and the Hasties had a mill here, and then there there was another mill. Uh, no, it escapes me now. Then there was Standard Veneering Mill. Uh, it was down at Pekin mm-hmm. 2nd Avenue and West Kings Highway. Yeah. Uh, that that 2nd Avenue was originally called Pekin Road because it served that mill uh, that was headquartered in Pekin, Illinois. Yeah. That and this mill- is all happening in the late 1800s? We haven't even turned the century yet, right, at this point? Um, no, we're... We're moving into the beginning of the 20th century. Okay. When did Gainesville, the seat, move from Gainesville to here? Uh, 1884, the vote was taken, and it was moved here from 1884, the courthouse. And that was kind of a crazy story, if I remember, as far as moving records. Well, yeah, there was, uh, of course, Gainesville was the county seat. You ever heard this story, Robert? Uh, no, I mean, it's I knew good, Gainesville was the county seat. I don't know anything about it. All right, Gainesville's a county seat. Never had more than 300 people there because people lived and worked on the farm, and the only people in town were a couple of merchants and a newspaper man, a Methodist preacher who printed a newspaper, and a, a, a few lawyers, doctors, um, and, uh, and the county officials were in Gainesville. 
uh, Gainesville Courthouse was burned at least three times, uh, arson, uh, theory being that criminal accused charged with crimes with cases pending would burn or arrange for the courthouse to burn, hoping to burn the record so they couldn't be convicted. The sheriff of uh, Gainesville was murdered, was shot in public, and Mr. Crowley was a witness. Benjamin Crowley was a witness. And uh, the man, everybody knew who shot the sheriff, and the man was never arrested and never charged. And Crowley testified that the man shot in self-defense and that man was that's the kind of community wow. the, the county <laughs> seat was Watch those people from Gainesville so we got a thousand people in Paragould and they say why do we have to go to Gainesville yeah, to transact business we got three times as many people here as they got in Gainesville well with no cars that would have been quite a trek up to yeah Gainesville. it would you ride you walk or you ride a horse or take a wagon a buggy so they called a special election and would you know, the people in Perigool outvoted the people in Gainesville <laughs> yeah. and voted to move the county seat to Perigool. Well, the county records then had to be moved from Gainesville to Perigool. And the sheriff said, hey, I need some backup. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, the sheriff said, I need some backup. Uh, if I'm going to move those records out of Gainesville, i got to have somebody helping me. Those people in Gainesville wanted those records. Yeah, out. I don't hmm. want to get shot. Hmm. So he hired W.J. McDonald, Bill McDonald, and a couple of his henchmen or gunmen <laughs> to go up there with Wild him West out here. and protect him. And moving the, they had to move the safe. And you ought to see that safe. That safe Still had here. all the records of Greene County in it. And that safe is on display right now mm-hmm. in the lobby of the new courthouse. If you look under the west stairs, gotcha. that safe... That's the safe that was at, safe. in Gainesville, and that's the safe had all the records of Green County in it, and that's the safe that the sheriff and Bill McDonald went up there and moved by wagon to Paragon. We pass it so often we never knew how much trouble they had to Boy. go through just to get it there. Yeah, like why would they put a safe down here? That's real, that makes sense. <laughs> I, it's a display. Yeah, wow. that's just show you what it used to be like that contained all the records of green county now you go to the courthouse now and ask them we can't show you the records they're all on microfilm or sure. the computer memory and and they're down in the basement and there's ten thousand volumes so we move into the 20th century downtown is is it booming at that point yeah. Okay. Yeah, so downtown with, with railroads, goodness gracious, yes. I mean, you'd see what? I mean, now, right, we know what downtown's like current day, but then, I mean, there are people all over the streets, right? At that sure. Point. Well, I've seen some pictures. The The big day was Saturday. Everybody came to town on Saturday to do their shopping. Everybody's, people not living, not many people living in Perigold, just the people who are working here, but most of the people are living out on the farm where they make their living. And they come to Paragool to transact their business. They haul a load of cotton in as soon as they get it picked to the cotton gin. They come in on Saturday to buy the merchandise they need and to sell their eggs and chickens and whatever else they got to sell. And so the town is full of people from sunup till 
10 o'clock at night on Saturday. Mm. Streets are so full you can't move up and down the streets. It's a social occasion. People that have been out on the farm all week working suddenly get to see all their friends and neighbors for a, and visit and spend money. And so Saturday is a booming time. Probably all dressed up and everything, right? Yeah. So downtown's growing. Paragold's growing. Um, catch us up from there. How does Paragold continue to evolve from that point? What changes do we see? What are some of the big shifts that happen over time? Well, uh, job opportunities. We've come out of the Depression. Nobody had a job. Nobody had any money. The Depression lasted until 1939, 10 years from 29 to 39. And then the Second World War started. For us, it didn't start till 1941, but it started in Europe in 1939, and the United States got involved indirectly, much like we are in Ukraine today. We started a Lend-Lease program. The British were uh, about to lose. Uh, Hitler was bombing England every night, just like you. England in the 39 was like, uh, yeah. uh, Ukraine in yeah. right now. Uh, England was being bombed every night by the Nazis. And the United States didn't want to get involved in it, but the United States wanted to support uh, Great Britain. So the United States started a lend-lease program where the United States would lend armament and equipment to Great Britain and airplanes and whatever. And so this Lend-Lease program got, got us started economically in supporting the war effort in Europe in 1939. Well, by 1941, a Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, and we then got in the Second World War, and all the young men... Uh, military age were drafted or volunteered for military service that took all the young men out and the women then had to go to work in the war effort uh, in the stores and such there'd been no opportunity for for women to work in public Mm. until then and the women all went to work and uh, and then the war ended in 45 and the men came back and we needed job opportunities, so uh, that was such a major shift in society, culture, everything, wasn't it? There was. We we got our real first factory uh, in nineteen thirty seven, probably nineteen thirty seven, nineteen thirty nine. Ely Walker Shirt Factory. Mm-hmm. Ely Walker came out of St. Louis, and they built a shirt factory here in Perigold on East Park Street. It's now an Emerson Electric mm-hmm. parking lot. <clears throat> and that uh, shirt factory employed 275, 300 women. First opportunity for women to get a job outside the home. They could make shirts there and make a good living. So that provided job opportunity for them. Then the end of the Second World War, um, Ed White Jr. came from St. Louis and put in the Ed White Jr. Shoe Company and started making shoes 
about 1947. That was up on Mill Street, North End Avenue. Maybe Elder Manufacturing has a warehouse there now, something. That was built as Ed White Jr.'s shoe company. Gave a good opportunity for men uh, to go to work. They employed 250, 300 men there making shoes, primarily infants and children's shoes, but also some ladies' shoes. And then about 19, mid-50s, Emerson Electric made their first move out of St. Louis. Their first plant that they put outside of St. Louis was built in Paragould on Pekin Road, we now call 2nd Avenue. And, uh, uh, and that gave an opportunity for men to go to work after the Second World War. So business boomed after the Second World War. What would that have been when Paragould grew the largest, the fastest, right after World War II, as you think back? I mean, obviously you've been here 92 years and you know the history. Or has there been other stretches where Paragould just kind of, boom, uh, accelerated quickly as far as population? Well, of course, the, the first, the opening of the railroads and the mills, that was a boom right there. And, uh, and then that leveled off from there, uh, became a rural community, a, a farm-related service community. There was a time when we had 36 dairies in Greene County, 36 farms milking milk cows and hauling milk to the market. Wow. Well, they, had, they hauled milk in five-gallon milk cans, to Paragool to put them on a train to get them to market. There was a woman here in town, had a business on North Pruitt Street, uh, Williams Creamery, and she bought cream. They would uh, uh, separate the milk from the cream, and the cream had a lot more value to it. They would bring their cream into Williams Creamery, and she would ship that cream to another market. And so... We went from 36 dairies out here producing milk. Uh, suddenly, uh, uh, um, an entrepreneur came in and put in a milk processing plant here. It was called Hudson Dairy or Patton Dairy, and then Hudson Patton Dairy, and it then became foremost mm-hmm. taste mark. And once those that dairy was located here, the farmers then started bringing all their milk. No, the farmers started selling all their milk at the farm to a tank truck that would drive around to all the farms every day and pick up milk and bring it to foremost taste mark dairy in Paragould. And so that dairy provided perhaps 50, 75, 100 jobs in the dairy processing milk. And then they ran route trucks out of Paragool to all the surrounding communities selling that milk, putting it in the grocery store. So Hmm. things are happening. I I never never knew that. So you had the boom early on, then you had the boom after World War II. Anything in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even? Well, then then the industry started coming to Paragool, and we had uh, Ed White Jr. Shoe Company, Emerson Electric Company, Monroe. Uh, Monroe Auto Equipment Company, um, Martin, Martin Sprocket and Gear, uh, Dana, Dana yeah. uh, Boston 
Boston Industrial Products. It's now, it's still here. I don't recall what it's called, but it's up on. Uh, That's not Garlock, is it? Yeah, the Garlock. Garlock. That was originally Boston Industrial Products. Okay. Yep. So all, all industry starts coming in here. And when did Paragold School get started? Because it was, it was before tech, right? Oh, yeah, tech, Par- yeah. Yeah. Paragold School started. Uh, shortly after Paragool became a community, there was a public school here. Oh, I didn't know that. Paragool School and Green County Tech didn't didn't get created until 1947. Okay, so many years after. Yeah, but when was the junior high? I gotta ask my junior high questions. Good, uh, I just, question. by the way, my wife and I just bought a house on Main Street, and we found out that part of the uh, brick on the house is from the uh, junior high building. So. The junior high building on Court Street, or the corner of, of a Court and Seventh, which is now the Dark South. was that building? That was originally the high school building. Okay, why that did was you Paragold High School? Which was when? When was that built? Probably. That was built. Uh, I'm going to say that was built in 1935, 1936. Okay, it was built before 1939. Because the gym was built in 1939. For Perryville High School, the gym was built in 1939 as a WPA project. That was Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal project. Yeah. It's called the Works Progress Administration to give men a job during get the, us out of the Depression. depression. Yeah. yeah. Men didn't have a job, so the government started a WPA, a Works Progress Administration, where they could hire men to, to go to work for the government uh, to build infrastructure, and one of the infrastructures built in Paragool was a gym at the Paragool High School. And that Is that on the first floor or second floor? The gym was a freestanding building oh, at, okay. I didn't. At, at the rear of the Paragool okay. High School. Paragool High School was a three-story building. Is that where you went? Yeah. What was it like in that building? I raised, look, I've got a big picture. My wife and I, we just got it from um, um, Richard Brummett. And we've blown it up, and so it's going to be hanging in our new house. So mm. I've just got a frame in the middle for it. That's so, awesome. Yeah, we're excited about it. That's cool. What was it like inside that building? Because it's my favorite, it's my favorite building in Paragold history. Well, it was a three-story building. The first story was a ground floor story that you could enter at ground level from the rear. If you entered from the front, you went up about 12 or 15 steps and were, would mm-hmm. be on what was then the second floor, which was where the offices, the, the supervisory offices were located, and uh, classrooms. And then there was, the third floor was the, the top floor, and it was also classrooms. The lunchroom was in the ba- the, on the first floor, the first floor is called the basement right. because if you entered the front, it was the basement, but you could enter it in the back and you were, it was a ground floor level. I, I thought the place was haunted. I actually <laughs> entered that building one time and it was, a really? ha- it was a haunted house ah. on, on Halloween. So I was probably in sixth or seventh grade. And it was still standing. And I remember being scared out of my mind. That would have been a scary building. building. How come you let them tear that down, Bob? <laughs> Well, it's a it, great was, building. it was a beautiful building. Mm, yes. It was just no longer practical. Oh, I wish we could have it. had steam it. heat. Yeah. Can you imagine steam no, heat? No, I can't. They, were, they had a furnace 
on the first floor that burned coal that boil, heated water to boiling, and that boiling water moved as steam up through radiators, and there was a radiator in every room to heat it, and that worked pretty well. You had to anticipate three or four hours ahead of your needs to get that hot water up there and to warm that room. And once you got it warm, it took a long time to cool it off. And, of course, in the warm weather, you raised all the windows, and you try to teach school with all the windows raised and outdoor distractions and students wondering what's going on out there and watching out the window and not paying attention and and being uncomfortable. It's terribly uh, uncomfortable in the warm weather in there with no you know 40 students together in a room and they're all perspiring and <laughs> it's tough uh, it's not it as glamorous make, on the inside as it was on the outside it didn't make economic sense i guess to to refurbish or try to retrofit i, I doubt know, that it would have been practical yeah um so the did, high school was built and the and the high school that you're speaking of second in my in court uh, seventh in court became the junior high school. Sure. Uh, switching gears a little bit, you may not know about this. This may be outside of your history knowledge. How did Frank Nash get here? You know that story? I do know that story. How did he end up here? For those listening, by the oh, way, Frank man, Nash is like one. the famous. He was, a, he was a famous. Is that right? He was famous. Monster. He was one of the most successful bank robbers of his day. Maybe the best bank robber in the United well, States. Hats off to him. Wow. Congratulations, Frank. Frank. Nash. But, uh, but he wasn't a native of Paris. But he's buried here, though, isn't he? Sure is. He's buried there in the mausoleum. But let me tell you about eyes. Have we got time for Frank Nash? Uh, yeah, we got Come time on. for whatever you want. Frank Nash, anybody. Um, Perry House came here from Illinois. And he, uh, he built a grip. Well, we know where the Parmley Depot was. It was where the old Mitchell Point Road, we call Lake Street, came to the depot, Parmley Depot. And high, Depot Street ran from Dr. Merriweather's house down to the depot. And Depot Street was called Depot Street because it ended there. And Depot Street or Highland Street and Mitchell Point Road or Lake Street are offset there because the depot was sitting there. And they both ended at the depot. Well, when they... When the two railroads built a union station down near Hamburger Station, then the Parmley Depot was no longer needed, and it was moved. And that's a different story. But but anyway, uh, Perry, Perry House came here from Illinois and put a grist mill there where the Parmley Depot had been, and he started buying grain and grinding it up into wheat and flour. Uh, uh, wheat and meal, uh, flour and meal. And uh, he was very successful. And there was a lady here, a single lady, and her name was Hattie Nash. Hmm. And Perry House and Hattie Nash married. And so Hattie Nash became Hattie House. And they built... uh, an elegant structure, two-story frame structure at the corner of Highland and 3rd Street where K&M Auto later was located and where Bob, Rob 
the lawyer. Oh, oh. Young, where Rob Young has his law office now. That's where the Hattie and Frank House house was located. I never knew Mr. House. I called him Frank. It wasn't Frank. Anyway, I never knew Mr. House, uh, but I knew his wife, his widow, Hattie. I delivered her a newspaper there to that house Hmm. and collected from her each month for the newspaper service. I'm told that in its early days, that house had the only two-story outhouse in Paragool. I didn't see it because by the time I was delivering her a newspaper, we had sanitary sewers then, no longer had outhouses. But I've always wondered how a two-story outhouse How does that would work? work? Why would you was, need a But anyway, that, that gets away from our story. Hattie's brother was Frank Nash. And Frank would come to Paragould when he was not busy robbing banks <laughs> to visit his sister. He didn't dare try to rob a bank here. No, I don't. He never was a kid. He heard about those Gainesville people that moved over here. But he he would come here and visit his sister. I I met a man who worked for the FBI, and he he grew up and settled here in Paragool. He had grown up in Marmaduke, and gone to school in Paragool. And after the uh, Second World War, he went to Washington and worked in the FBI. And he was working in the FBI, and they said, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Arkansas. We're in Arkansas. I'm in Paragool. And this, this agent said, hey, I spent three weeks in Paragool once. He said, what are you doing in Paragool? He said, I was down there as a stakeout waiting for Frank Nash to show up, and he never showed up. Mm. And wow. so, so uh, Frank Nash never got caught in Paragool. He'd come here to visit Hattie House, but one day in one period he decided to get away from robbing banks incidentally he drove a plymouth automobile and i'm told he had a machine gun rack on the dash of his plymouth automobile to carry a machine gun there when he was robbing banks and he quarter he put it in a trunk when he wasn't working and wild but he wanted to rest and respite so he took r&r to hot springs where he could do the baths and the race the horse races and what other Social engagements might that's be available. A, that's a gangster to him. town too, isn't it? Oh, it was then. It was everything there was illegal. Mm. Uh, so he went down there and he was doing the things you do in Hot Springs, and the feds find out he's down there, and they went down and arrested him, and they put him on a train in Hot Springs to go to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Mm-hmm. That train had he had to switch trains in Union Station, Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And so when the agents that were moving him got to Union Station, Kansas City, they got off that train. Going over to the other train, a shootout occurred. And some say that Frank's Frank Nash's buddies were trying to spring him. Others say Frank Nash's buddies were afraid he was going to cut a deal with the feds mm-hmm. and testify against mm-hmm. them. So they took him out so he wouldn't be a witness against them. But at any rate, he got shot. Frank Nash got killed in that shootout, and his body was brought back to Paragool, and he was buried here where his sister lived. Somebody told me that, um, or maybe I read this somewhere, that there were 
different people who showed up for the funeral just to make sure he was dead. <laughs> I like to believe that's I believe, true. I want to believe that. <laughs> so, Frank Nash, I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, Bob, before you leave, any other just stories around Paragold history that you think would be good for us to have recorded? It would be good for anybody to hear um, that come to mind when you think about Paragold, whether it's something that contributed to the growth of it or just that you're proud of when you think of the city that you were raised in. And if you can't think of any stories, another question I know that I have is what maybe would you want this next generation to know, those who are living in Paragould now? Well, uh, we ought to take pride in our situation. We ought to take pride in our home co- hometown. We ought to take pride in our home country. We ought to take pride in our uh, possessions. We ought to take pride in our freedom and our opportunity to worship as we see fit without being condemned or, or judged by our worship or lack of it. One of the things I like about your story is that you were seeking the best you could to love people where they are, probably not perfectly, but still you've tried to be a good citizen and you have been. And, um, I hope that's something that I can continue to take away. I hope that's said about me of that. I'm the kind of person that just tries to treat people fairly and and love them well and serve and leave the city better than I found it. And I think that when it's said and done uh, for you, you've done that. And I thank you for coming on and being willing to share. I know you said like, this has not been uh, something that you've necessarily looked forward to. I hope it's definitely been at least less painful than what a root canal or whatever else could have been for you. (laughs) And so um, Jessica, thanks so much to you, by the way, I'm sure you're listening to this for, uh, uh, you know, working with Bob and getting him to come on. I would love to end with some rapid fire questions. Um, These are uh, absolutely painless. We do this with every single guest that comes on. So here we go. Six questions for you. Number one, what is either the last uh, show you watched or book you read? Well, as far as shows go, I've pretty well eliminated the movies. I, I like uh, live theater, and I see uh, live theater at every opportunity. I attend a Municipal Opera uh, Outdoor Theater in St. Louis each year. Hmm. And I go to live theater productions at the Orpheum in Memphis uh, when I can. And uh, the last movie I saw was out here at the local theater, but it was uh, a few years ago, it was before uh, COVID. And uh, it, 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 it was either about Barnum and Bailey Circus. I've forgotten the title. The, the Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman. Hey, or, that's a good one. That's your. That's right up your alley. Right? Or a, a, an Abraham Lincoln story. Um, Was that movie just called Lincoln? Yes. It's yeah. A good one. Okay. Um, that's good. That's what I was. That's that's it. You answered it. That's okay. Perfect. Uh, second question: What is either your favorite band or favorite song? Favorite band, uh, well, I like the the bands of the big band era. Mm-hmm. I liked uh, Duke Ellington, like Count Basie, I liked uh, Artie Shaw, Tommy Darcy, uh, Jimmy Darcy, Harry James, 
those were, they made, uh, well, there was a, a black uh, band leader from Benton, Ar- from uh, Brinkley, Arkansas. I think of his name in a minute. He, he was uh, he was very well known, had a very successful orchestra, uh, had a lot of first Big Ten uh, mm. tunes. Uh, his name was Carpenter yeah. and Ben. Any right, um, the big bands. I'm yeah. gonna Google some of those later. Create a Spotify playlist called the Bob Branch playlist. And all, those, <laughs> all that music on there. Um, what is your favorite meal? Meal. Uh Oh, it'd probably be fried hog jaw, turnip, turnip greens or collard greens, skillet yeah. fried potatoes, raw onion, yeah. and jalapeno cornbread. Yeah, hey, man. Hey, buttermilk's my beverage. Is that real? Yeah. And buttermilk. I can't do the buttermilk, but everything else, I am right there with you. Yeah. So, um, Louis Jordan is the black Jordan. band Louis leader from Jordan. Brinkley, Arkansas. I Googled it. I was ready to throw it in there. Okay. Yeah. Louis Jordan. Ain't uh, nobody here but us chickens is one of his songs. <laughs> Caledonia is one of his songs. I don't know any of them, but I'm going to. Saturday Night one. Fish Fry. Listen to Saturday Night Fish Fry. Okay. You talk about blacks telling it like it is. They tell you how they live and what they enjoy and what gets them in trouble, gets them hit on the head. You listen to his Saturday Night Fish Fry. <laughs> I'm going to check it out. All right. Um, next question. What is on your nightstand right now? I don't read at night on my be- in my bed, but I read every night. Uh, there's the Wall Street Journal there. Mm. There's a, an iPad for the St. Louis, for the uh, Arkansas Democrat Gazette, uh, um, my uh, Oxford Annotated Bible is there. Hmm. I have uh, th- th- those are probably the things that Good. I read most often. Right. Last two questions. What is just an ordinary moment in your life that brings you a lot of joy? Just an ordinary moment, but it brings you a lot of joy. Ah, uh, having a meal with my family. That is. Uh, the family I have here with me now in Paragould, I have a daughter and, and son-in-law and, and their grown children. And I have a son and daughter-in-law and their grown children. And so I have grandson, grandchildren and great-grandchildren here. And a meal with them is mm. a high point. Great. Last question. What is just one thing right now that you're deeply grateful for? One Good thing. health. Uh, good health and uh, Christian parents. I grew up in a home. My mother was a Methodist. Her grandfather, my great-grandfather, was a circuit-riding Methodist minister on the Gainesville-Greensboro circuit, which was in this area. Mm. My father was Baptist, uh, went to school and worshipped at Brown's Chapel Baptist, well, Brown's mm-hmm. Chapel School, and it became Brown's mm-hmm. Chapel Church, and that's where he learned his letters there, mm-hmm. and he went back and taught there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I grew up in a Christian home where alcohol was never served or consumed, and I never heard any profanity. Mm. Now, I, I can't say I'm... <laughs> I try not to be profane, 
and I sometimes consume alcoholic beverages, and I'm regular and a a great supporter of the First United Methodist Church in Paragool. But uh, I'm grateful for my folks and the atmosphere in which I grew up. Nine of us children, and we all grew up in that atmosphere. Wow. Imagine. Never heard profanity. Never heard profanity. Not even from your mom with nine children. God bless her. Wow. Job, Mom. Yeah. Um, Bob, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really, really do appreciate it. Um, It's been one of my favorite episodes because I love this city, and I know you're a wealth of knowledge, and we probably could go another two, three, four hours, and you would have more for us. But I really do appreciate you making the time. Hopefully, in the future, we can grab some hog jaw and listen to some big bands together. Okay. Thanks a lot. And Bob Branch has left the building. We finally got him in. Well, that was a lot of work. Uh, Thanks to the dental hygienist there. Jessica Brewer, if you're still listening. (laughs) Thanks so much. Um, And to the rest of you who are still tuning in, uh, we want to thank you for listening as well. So we do what we do because of you, and um, we are so glad that you chose to join us again this week. If you've not already done so, please check us out on our different social media accounts if that interests you. Instagram, Facebook, we have a website, paraglipodcast.com. Um, and if you've not done this, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Why is that important, Robert? Well, it really helps those algorithms so other people can find us, you know, because people, people deserve to hear these great stories, and it helps them to find our, our podcast. Absolutely. So, yeah, please do that for us if you've not already done so. And as always, thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time.